You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you maybe already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? I am very fortunate today to sit down with Erin Chironi, who just graduated with a master's in biology. She also has a background in biotech and longevity. Most importantly, she's also an anatomy member. Welcome to the show, Erin. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. So initially when I met Erin at anatomy, we started to chat about training, life, uh, fitness, wellness, longevity. And little did I know that she knows an immense amount of everything and I was like man my first thought selfishly was I got to get her on the show because <laughs> she's extremely knowledgeable she's extremely kind uh, super nice person but she basically schooled me for 45 minutes on health longevity and I was just so impressed um, I needed to get her information to the audience. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came. You have an interesting transition from the sports media, and I want them to hear your story a little bit. So, please. Yeah, sure. Well, again, thanks for having me, Mark. It's, Absolutely. Um, it's funny to be in the gym in a podcast studio instead of <laughs> downstairs on the floor. <laughs> but I love anatomy. Um, number one way to stay healthy. Um, yeah, so I... As you know, I have a background in sports television, um, which ultimately is what led me to my work in uh, biotechnology, digital health, human longevity optimization. Um, so I was a sports television broadcaster for uh, quite a few years. And as I was sort of transitioning out of that, uh, my last role, I was with CBS Sports, which is what brought me down here to Miami. I'm actually from New York City. Um, I started my own podcast and it was called Live Like an Athlete. And the purpose of that was really, you know, I talking to the athlete, the professional athletes was always fun. But what I personally selfishly found the most interesting was how does a guy like LeBron James or Federer or Djokovic, how do they become who they are? Right. They've got all of these technologists and trainers and chefs and all these people behind them. And that's who I wanted to talk to is like, what's the cutting edge of that? Um, and so in doing that, I met um, the people at my now former company that um, I was with for six years until 2020. Um, and they were working on doing personalized uh, blood biomarker analysis for professional athletes and regular folks as well. And so I joined them. They were a very early stage startup in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, left television, started doing that, ultimately became the creative director of that company. Um, and we expanded to add DNA analytics as well. Um, so looking at your, your blood biomarkers and your, um, your genome, and then offering people really precise nutrition and lifestyle guidance to optimize mm -hmm. longevity and optimize health span. So that's a short way of saying that's sort of how I got in uh, to, to the nerdy territory that you and I explored one day oh, <laughs> in yeah. anatomy early on. Um, and so now I actually most recently um, joined a company called Foxo Technologies. Foxo is F-O-X-O, and it uh, is one of the main longevity genes uh, in humans. Actually, it's highly conserved across many um, species, but for, for humans, it's, it's very important um, in cellular homeostasis and ultimately just longevity. We'll leave it at that. 
Um, and so we're working with uh, artificial intelligence and epigenetic technology um, to optimize human health span and lifespan. So that's my jam. That's what I'm really interested in. Um, I went back to school, as you mentioned in your intro. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not just out of undergrad, but I worked for many years and then thought, well, if I want to continue to pursue this, as with anything, just like with training your body, you need to train your mind. And so I needed additional education. Um, and so I did my master's um, in biology at Harvard. Um, and just graduated last month. And my thesis was on um, epigenetics and longevity. And in particular, I looked at astronaut data. Wow. So um, if anyone remembers how Scott Kelly went up to the space station for like 350 days, I forget the exact amount. It was a year, right? And he's a twin. And he had his twin, Mark Kelly, down on the ground. So you had a ground control with the same genome as wow. the guy who's in space. And so we were they were looking at many things. But one of the things that um, I thought was particularly interesting and which I looked at in my thesis was their, um, their DNA methylation, which is a, a type of epigenetic change. Um, so we could talk about that. We could talk about longevity. We could talk about whatever you want to talk about. So you, you well, first of all, congrats on uh, your recent graduation. That's Thank you. awesome, terrific, and I know there's so much work that goes into that. I can't even imagine. Um, um, but I see you, you know, you're you, you're studying. You're you're focused on education and, and growing and growth. But you're also always training. And I think that's really impressive to do because most people shut one down when they go all into the other. So mm. kudos to you. Thanks. Um, you mentioned before we uh, officially started today's show that the company that you're working with now, they can actually get it down to the, the precise moment of basically your, 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 when you burn out or your, you expire, so to speak. So tell us more about that. Because as soon as you said that, I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not so sure I'd want to know, number one. But can please break that down a little bit and explain what, what you meant so the audience can understand what sure, you're Sure, sure. No, it's not as scary and nihilistic as it sounds. Um, it's, it's actually really, really cool, interesting um, science and technology. So um, most folks, I think, know what you're genes do and what they are. You know, you inherit uh, your genetic information from mom and dad. Um, that is heritable and it really doesn't change. I mean, it doesn't change very meaningfully over the course of your life. Sure, you can have mutations and things that happen as your cells divide, as you age, um, absolutely. But um, more or less, your, your genetic information is stable. Your epigenome, which is really interesting, it's the expression of your genes. So um, there are epigenetic changes, and some of them are heritable, and some of them are um, you know, influenced by your lifestyle, your environment. So all that is to say, uh, and back me up if I'm, if I'm going too science-y mm -hmm. at any point, no, or if I'm not making sense, um, there are these things called epigenetic clocks. And they're relatively new. Um, the first high-fidelity epigenetic clock uh, paper was published in 2013 uh, by Steve Horvath at UCLA. And what they do, uh, using very sophisticated algorithms, machine learning, a um, lot of samples, they're saying, okay, your genes express themselves, right? So your, epi your epigenome, you can analyze and look at to understand how are your genes expressing themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So how, how is the protein coding function working? How are the genes are, are, are um, responsible for the phenotypes that we see, right? Mm -hmm. How we age, how you perform, all, all these things. 
And so the interesting thing about your epigenome is uh, in some respects it is very stable, but it is also dynamic. And so it can you can change your genetic expression with lifestyle. So if you're a smoker, right, you're obviously going to die earlier and become ill. Of course. That's not because you're changing your genes. It's because you're impacting your epigenome, meaning how you're expressing those mm -hmm. genes, how, are, you know, are, are the genes turned on or off? For example, it's a very crude example. Um, if you're obese, your gene expression uh, will be different, right? It's changing all sorts of processes in the body. So to back that up, uh, essentially what we're able to do now is to say, okay, we can look at certain sites in your um, epigenome, which sits above the genome, you can think about it like mm -hmm. that, and can predict with some degree of accuracy your health span and your health span and your lifespan. So it's not um, you know, fatalistic. It's not like we would look at your epigenome today and tell you, oh, Mark. On this day in the future, you're gonna die. Obviously, that's not that's 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 not how it works. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, um, there's a difference. I would want to know, by the way. Exactly. I don't think I'd want to know. Most people want to know. Most, yeah, sure. I mean, that's like, you know, the age-old philosophical question: Would you want to know the moment of your death? Right? Are you gonna get hit by a bus tomorrow, or, you know, are you gonna live until 98 and die peacefully in your sleep? Um, and to some extent, like we can't control everything in life right but there are right. things that we can't control you know that better than anyone because yeah. you're in this business um and so the really interesting um thing about that i think is you know for clinical applications looking at disease risk um being able to tell people hey here's a picture of mm -hmm. the direction you're heading or your age acceleration um and what can you do to to mediate that um in some cases you, in some cases, you can't do all that much, and in some cases, you can do a whole lot. And again, a lot of it is highly intuitive. So things that you would tell people to do normally in their lives, don't drink too much, don't smoke, make sure you sleep well, make sure you exercise, right? All of those things are going to lead net-net to a positive outcome, mm -hmm. barring any genetic inherited traits that you of might course, have had. Yeah. So. It's interesting. I, I don't think there's a couple things that, as you were speaking, they're flying across the chalkboard in my mind. Um, the first thing is, you know, this the business of improving health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And we come across many people in our field that they firmly believe that they have a genetic disposition to be obese mm -hmm. or to be... You know, they're certainly obviously diabetic or whatever it may be. Um, they say, oh, but since I was a small boy, my mother would say, oh, but that's in your genes. That's in your genes. And I looked around and there were no athletes in my family. So um, I also think, and I'm sure that you can sum this up and organize this thought for me, but we're capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more that's possible than we see, yeah. than the superficial. So, you know, can you speak to the, a woman who, a man who's 300 pounds and out of shape, you know, he doesn't, maybe he can't be a professional athlete. No, but he can be in the best shape of his life. You know, and what does that mean? You know, Decent body fat, optimal living, great health, great rest, uh, great muscle tone, feeling great, fully functioning on every level, like uh, uh, optimally. What are your thoughts on that? Like, there's a lot of people that can't make that shift. What would you tell them? 
Mm. Well, first I would say your genes are not your destiny mm -hmm. in almost all cases. Mm -hmm. So there are things, there are highly penetrant traits, right? Um, and, and those are pretty pretty clear, things like Huntington's disease, Tay-Sachs, mm -hmm. um, Down syndrome, right? Um, which is something that is not reversible. And those, those are very clear and very well understood. Something like obesity is, um, you know, we'd call it a polygenic trait, meaning that there are many different factors that influence, some of which we don't still fully understand. You know, the mm -hmm. microbiome is a whole new world. Mm -hmm. um, People think that they understand it, but we're really just at the precipice of understanding it. So I, like you, believe in, you know, uh, sort of infinite possibility. And, and it so much is about mindset. I mean, to get out of the sort of clinical and research side and, and just speak anecdotally, and actually to some extent not even anecdotally because there are studies on this. There are studies on placebo effect and studies on the power of positive thinking and, um, you know, outcomes and, and chemotherapy outcomes and stuff like that. And it's very, very clear time and again that people who have a positive mindset have, have better clinical outcomes more often than not. Um, and so why is that? I have not read an explanation that scientifically makes sense. And you know, maybe one day we'll understand that. Maybe we don't currently because um, our scientific paradigm needs to be expanded. But, but there's certainly something to that. So I, I do believe that um, even if I can't scientifically explain it, that mm -hmm. the power of intention is strong. Um, and also that there are factors people forget about that are not physical and really difficult to quantify. So when we think about, um, you know, the longest lived populations, Dan Buettner dubbed them the blue zones, right? So you great have, book, great book. Great book, right? Great book. Um, and so, yes, there are things these people do, right? They don't sit a lot and they get fresh air and they live in nature. Um, they eat almost exclusively plant-based diets. Um, they sleep well and they get up and go to bed at around the same time. Mm -hmm. These are things that anyone with a little bit of intention can, can adopt. But I would say that I think there are things that people talk about less that are really important community your relationships mm -hmm. to yourself, to others, and to the world around you. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, the world that we live in now, although we have these awesome <laughs> little devices here, I'm holding my phone, um, you know, we're connected, but we're disconnected. And so I do think that if we were to take all the different variables that are involved in someone's health outcome, you know, in, in being the difference between being fit and healthy versus obese and out of shape or unhappy um there are those things to think about too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know it was interesting you said like the, we talked about blue zones and i know this we talked about the the greek or oh, greece people, mm -hmm. people in greece italians uh, uh uh the japanese culture they they all did a few things and they one of the cultures they talked about they were having tea every day and the tea was healthy but it wasn't necessarily the tea it was the social component exactly right? so are you familiar with uh, we talked earlier about uh, Dr. Huberman mm -hmm. and he talked about there is a hormone that a social hormone tineactin tineactin and he what he mentioned was that if you go without this hormone for extended periods of time you actually force yourself into a negative state both physically and emotionally and I was thinking I don't think people understand the power of the social component. Mm -hmm. When we get around people, interestingly enough, I have uh, two team members here. One team, well, we have hundreds of team members at Anatomy, but two specifically, one of them unplugs 
uh, or recharges rather by getting away from social interaction. Another team member here, they must go out every night mm -hmm. and that's how they recharge. Mm -hmm. And when he said that to me, I was thinking, I've never even heard of that, <laughs> but clearly it really works for him. Yeah. And, and, and it just, my perspective was my perspective. I thought, you know, stillness, quiet, and that's gonna help you. But he mentioned that he needs that social component. And it's, it's quite clear that that can play a huge effect on your health and wellness. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there was an article, I'm going to totally misquote it because I forget where it was yeah. and exactly what it was, but it was something called like loneliness as a molecule, right? And loneliness is, it's, you know, people have said in, I don't know if it was in the New York Times or wherever it was, that loneliness is a disease, right? And mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it is a disease, but I would certainly say that we could probably, um, you know, if we, if we looked at some metadata analyses, find that it is strongly correlated with disease outcomes. Um, we are social creatures. That's why, I mean, this is another tangent, but that's why I'm personally really against, um, you know, confinement and, mm -hmm. and solitary confinement in prisons. I mean, I have a right, problem right. with prison in general. I don't think it's the way to right. perform people. But um, particularly with that, I mean, it is really damaging. And you see it with animals in zoos. Like, we are social creatures. If you that's deprive right. a person of that oxytocin, that physical touch, all the cascade of hormones that we still don't understand, you will break them. That's right. We're tribal creatures you know that's right he actually mentioned that he mentioned that the the most powerful and damaging punishment is solitary confinement. oh did he yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it is it, it's horrible it's, it's going without the social interaction is a huge factor mm -hmm. and we made that very clear there was when, when you were discussing training and we were talking early on about optimal living another thought that came to my mind is you know you said um, Jacqueline of course Back in the day, he had a chalkboard and he said, you know, drink water, don't eat uh, fried food, uh, exercise every day, get eight hours of sleep. And he went over this list. The list hasn't really changed, right? <laughs> no. And, I, and I, my grandmother, who lived to 99, wow. she was from Sicily. She did these things every day, Erin. She drank eight glasses of water and obsessively uh, she had OCD, she would count the glasses of water. <laughs> wow. She had a half a cup of oatmeal every day. Oh. She slept eight to nine hours a night. She went on a walk every day and she had social interaction. There you go. Right? And I remember thinking <laughs> my grandmother did all of those things every day of her life. And she was the most pleasant, happy person you've ever met. Yeah. So things don't really change on the, on the, the very basic side of wellness, I should say. Exactly. Now with training, we know that training is good for you. However, more isn't better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes less is more. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm specifically talking to, don't think, Mark, I'm listening to your podcast. You're telling me to do less and I'm going to be healthier. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm speaking specifically to the training fanatics, the people who were just like Mark, who used to train two, three times a day and thought, hey, I'm in great shape. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything you want to share with us in regards to uh, a doctor friend of mine told me, hey, Mark, here's the truth. You are given a certain amount of beats at birth, heartbeats, and if you speed your heart rate up too much, you expire early. And I was thinking, I get it. I understand what he means. But can you talk about, uh, I guess we would call it the, uh, the sacromere health 
in, in regards to the cells in your body when you burn them out. Because mm -hmm. if you're constantly crushing your soul in the gym, <laughs> it's not necessarily a wonderful thing. No, there's a lot to unpack there, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm glad. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I guess first I will say I am not a physician. So anything I'm saying, listeners, please Thank do not you. take as medical advice. I should have said that at the beginning. Um, anything I do is for me and is not advice to you. Um, I would point you to some studies and you can go to PubMed and look up anything that I've said. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you know, that's interesting that he said that about the heartbeats. I'll have to ask my, one of my friends is a cardiologist. I'm going to see what she says yeah, about please. that. But we, it, it, I immediately thought of cellular division, uh, cellular proliferation when you, when you mentioned that. Um, uh, so there's a couple of things. Um, there's something called the Hayflick limit your cells divide a finite amount of time. So anyone who's heard of something called telomeres, those are like the end caps. That's what I meant, I'm sorry, yeah. not saccharine. Yeah, okay. yeah, telomeres. Um, so like the little, um, uh, it's like the, the shoelace, shoelace, right? shoelace I end love caps, that example. right? It's such a yeah. good analogy. Yeah. yeah, and so as your cell divides and divides and divides, that little end cap becomes shorter and shorter and shorter, and the, the end cap is responsible for maintaining stability, right? So things don't, I'm being very non-scientific yeah. here. So things don't just get all rearranged, right? You don't want lots of mutations because that's how you have cancer and disease. And that is why, no matter what, as you age, mm -hmm. there is an association with, if you looked at a graph, there's a direct association between, you know, your chronological age and your likelihood of disease, including specifically cancer. Cancer is present in some tiny form in your body at all times, right? Um, it's just cells gone awry, basically. And so anyway, back to your point about the finite amount of heartbeats, which I can't comment on, but surely with regard to cellular division, yes, um, the Hayflick limit is the number of times that the cell will, will healthily mm -hmm. divide. And at that point, the cell then enters a state called senescence, um, which some people might be familiar with. I think it's really interesting. It's basically, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, cell, it's a cellular arrest. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's protective. Uh, early on in the organism's life because you don't want a rogue cell to keep dividing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that would be bad. And so when a cell goes haywire and let's say it's, you know, uh, the body recognizes, oh, this is a cancer cell or this cell's got mutations, I'm going to halt it, right? And so what happens though is it enters this zombie-like state. It's, it's called senescence. And while it's good because it prevents the proliferation or the division of a rogue cell, it also allows the cell to sort of just sit there. It's like, imagine you just press pause, right? And mm -hmm. so the cell is now just sitting there, but it, it hasn't necessarily been cleared out. Um, and so as you age, you naturally accumulate more and more of these because your body has this natural sort of stopgap measure, right? To say, oh, hold on, mm -hmm. we got some damage here. We're going to stop dividing. And what happens is as those cells sit there, and this is actually a contributor, it's a result of aging and it's a contributor to aging, um, those senescent cells secrete uh, this, this thing called SASP. It's the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which is... Um, it's secreting cytokines, pro-inflammatory um, signals. And what it does, it, it tells the other cells around it also to senesce or to go, you know, go awry. And so it, it's okay if you have one or two of these cells hanging around and your body naturally clears them out. But as you age, the body's ability to, to clean its, itself of metabolic debris mm -hmm. becomes impaired. And so you have more and more of these cells. And you can imagine now this is just a vicious cycle, right? Um, I forget what your original question was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, train. You we talk about training oh, right. too much and just going beast mode in the gym, and more is better, and it's yeah. not necessarily the case. And I, I think we it feels like we're going to move toward 
the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and spending excessive amounts of time in the sympathetic. So yeah, and actually that's also a good point about um, you know not training, not not overtraining and. And also, like, too much of anything really isn't a good thing. So, you know, this obsession people have with protein. Um, actually, I brought the literature with me so I could quote it. Um, you know, if you, want to, if you want to increase your lifespan, you need to eat less protein. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. So, but, but let me just stop you there and, and ask you a question because, you know, people say, hey, Mark, you know, I'm eating this food, uh, side analogy here, and this food has healthy fat in it mm-hmm. but as you said Aaron too much of anything is not mm-hmm. a good thing mm-hmm. and although she's telling you that eating too much protein can be harmful athletes eat excessive protein because they know that it's the building blocks of muscle and they feel that if I eat a little bit more I'm gonna have more muscle which is not necessarily the case please correct and so uh, you guys have probably heard of mTOR and IGF-1 yeah you don't want those pathways to be excessively activated because mTOR is responsible for proliferation, cellular proliferation, mm-hmm. which you know helps you to build muscle. Mm-hmm. But guess what happens when you increase cellular proliferation um, excessively? You allow all sorts of cells to proliferate, right? And all cells, ex- exactly. And so some of those might be rogue cells. Again, I'm being super high of level course, here, but course. but but as an analogy, like that's. A, that is why, um, you know, you, you don't want that pathway turned on mm-hmm. all the time to grow and grow and grow. That's why, you know, uh, steroids, for instance, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not judging anyone. I'm just yeah. saying, okay, if you're going to do that, you might look great for a bit, but uh, we all know what happens in mm-hmm. the end. And, and there's a reason for that because you're overriding, um, you know, the mechanisms that naturally exist in the body to keep it in balance. You need homeostasis. And so... Too much of anything, not great. Too much fat, also really not good. And in fact, fat is responsible for diabetes, not sugar. Right, right. You know, people are afraid of carbs. I'm like, guys, eat your carbs, please. I mean, your complex carbs. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You know? Um, So would that say that most, like, you said IGF-1, but would they make a case for growth hormone in athletes? Probably not a good thing. Again, I'm not a doctor, right. but I would not use that myself. Yeah. Um, you know, look, athletes are in a, uh, if you're a professional athlete, you're in a really difficult position, right? You mm. worked in pro sports. I worked in pro sports, not mm. as an athlete, just mm. interviewing you guys. Um, and your shelf life is really finite. If you're in the NFL, it's, it's super short. Mm. Uh, if you're, you know, maybe a soccer player, it's a bit longer. Um, but everyone's trying to maximize uh, profit in that time period and I, I totally understand that because or revenue whatever the right word is you mm-hmm. need to make your money right? right because you can't do it forever right um, and also people are driven to want to win and so I totally understand that but there's this crazy trade-off of like okay if I enhance myself now in whatever course, way that is even course. if it's legal mm-hmm. um what is that going to do to me down the line and that's why you see a, a lot of problems and right. people who have pushed themselves in this very compressed window and unfortunately there's a myth in our society about things like protein um you know we don't need as much as we think we need mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation but there actually are studies showing that eating less extends lifespan i'm certainly not suggesting people don't eat protein of course um but you know you get protein broccoli like yeah. it's it, it's it's not what people think it is and 
Um, some uh, physicians who talk about this lecture publicly will always laugh and say, we never heard of anyone dying from a protein deficiency, right, right. you know, right. so you'll get it no matter what. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Understood. Um, I, I think the takeaway is that you have to be really careful the source and yeah. and also the intention like what something that could be really good for one function may could be harmful for another you know i mean for years and years they would say you know hey eat fish fish is great for you yeah but if your fish is loaded up with mercury it's right. probably not that good so you need to uh, in, consider the source it actually does matter and exactly. i don't think people take those things into account yeah. um so we we're talking about optimal living and we, we hit on a few things when we were chatting in the gym. What are some things that people can do? And I know the list is always there, water, exercise, you stated before, <laughs> but let's talk about like uh, infrared sauna, red light therapy, uh, shivering, cold immersion. What would you say? What are your, some of your top things if you want to speak to all of them? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll tell you that one of the reasons, actually the reason that I joined Anatomy mm -hmm. <laughs> was because there is uh, an infrared sauna and mm -hmm. there is a cold plunge therapy and yes. a, a cold plunge pool with that. And I was like, oh my God, I could do this on the back of my workout? Right, this is right, incredible, right. <laughs> you know? So for that, I am eternally grateful to this gym um, and also obviously the positive culture and everything oh, about it is you. great, but um, which is important for health and longevity. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that stuff's really important. Rhonda Patrick talks about it a lot. Um, being in the sauna, look, if you go on PubMed and search uh, sauna longevity, mm -hmm. uh, you'll, you'll find some really interesting studies. Um, when you activate heat shock proteins, when you activate cold shock proteins, um, again, shocking the body is usually a good thing. In nature, um, we're evolutionarily, you're, you're exposed to periods of shock, periods of famine, periods of feast, periods of deprivation, periods that you need to stress the body in brief uh, moments, not yeah. Short-term stress is good. Yeah. Long-term stress, bad. Right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's um, you know, one, one reason why why things like that are very beneficial um mm. stressing the body um in in asana uh and or with with hot cold therapy has been shown to be really beneficial for recovery for all sorts of things i notice i don't know if you notice this but um obviously i was you know in school for the last three years and as i was in the stages of my thesis i'd go sit in the sauna and then go into the cold plunge and I would listen to podcasts or to lectures uh, as I was doing it. And I would have these like revelations. Like I would have moments of absolute cognitive clarity. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, I'll tell you that whenever I'm in that sauna, you know, if I shock my body in the cold plunge, I could write a book. Yeah. I could write a book, but I'm like brain dead if I'm not in there. Seriously, <laughs> I'm not. And then I just have these moments where, oh my God, this would be a great whatever idea for anatomy yeah. for the team uh, this would be a great event maybe we should consider this and i have all these light bulb moments yep. where i i think it's the i feel like it's clearing out like you know the pathways in my brain but uh do you have any information on or thoughts on time how long should you be in there for example for the uh the sauna for example I don't know any more than what I have read, and so that I, I don't want to say a particular amount of time because I don't want to misquote okay, any of the studies. Fine. I personally sit for 20 minutes. Okay. Um, I think that that seems to be a safe amount of time. Um, and with I've read that with the 
cold plunge, hot plunge, um, obviously it's best to alternate. Um, at, and I read somewhere at least three times. So I always do a cycle okay. of at least okay. three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of like variable information mm-hmm. on what they've discovered. I know in Finland, there's been quite a few studies because that's something that they culturally that they've done okay. for many, many years. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's really great for health, for health span and lifespan, um, hot and cold therapy for sure. Um, Red light therapy? I don't know enough about okay. the science behind okay. the infrared. Um, so, although I love inf- infrared mm-hmm. saunas personally. Um, okay. So I, I certainly use it. I mean, I love it. I don't. I have to either give up some of my training time or just make that my session because time is a uh, virtue. Yeah. Um, talk, let's talk about your training. How do you train yourself and what's most important for you? <laughs> well, as you said, I'm yeah. in the gym all the time. Oh, yeah. My results are, you know, <laughs> maybe variable. Um, she's, but she's very fit, very <laughs> humble. Thanks. Uh, I could always be better. Um, and you know, I've asked you for advice quite a few times for my injuries, as you know. Uh, and yeah, I just started um, training with James actually, and he he's Tr- terrific. He's incredible. Terrific. Um, a nerd like me. Um, yeah. I mean, all your trainers are awesome. Everyone's lovely. They're all nerds. We meet that in the most positive way. <laughs> Listen, I think that's yeah, the highest yeah, yeah. compliment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm working with him on trying to, you know, just get back to basics in terms of my form. Um, injuries come from somewhere. There's a root cause, and often we don't address the root. Um, so you and I talked about you know, I need to go see an orthopedic surgeon because I want some imaging on my knee so that I can then know what to tell people like James or you when I approach them for advice, not because I believe in cutting open my body at this age. Um, and so the problem, I think, with the, unfortunately, with, with some of that stuff is just looking at things in a reductionist way, right? Oh, mm-hmm. it's your knee and that's it. Or it's yeah. your, your elbow and that's it. And not saying, well, wait a second, everything in the body is connected. Yeah, right. a lot of variables in there. And when we talk about knees, it might be the knee, but the problem might stem from the ankle or the hip or who knows, we talk exactly. about the, the shoulder. You, you, you never really know. I used to work with this baseball player and he had like a cross-body pattern issue with his left knee, his right hip, and his left shoulder. Hmm. Ironically, he's batted lefty, he swung a baseball bat. And I was <laughs> thinking, yeah, of course. So I, I think, and we actually, with uh, Beth Koss, who's one of our instructors for our anatomy educational course, just ran for two and a half months and um, she would put up images of baseball players and how they swing a bat violently in a transverse plane of motion and their feet are planted and they don't move Mm -hmm. so all the force going through the hips and the knee and years later all these baseball players need hip replacements of course they do yeah you know they go into a batting cage and hit hundreds of balls and they don't move their feet and their hips are getting grinded into a stone so yeah I think people now we have to focus more on, and we've been talking about this extensively as a team, consider the muscles. You know, we know muscles are joint managers, but let's consider the movement patterns and what we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to do it. It's really important. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm really excited to be working on um, now. And I already see some, some different, no one can see me obviously, but I'm pointing at my, I'm like rotating my shoulder. Um, and I already see some, some difference in posture, which I really need to improve. Um, but yeah, I just like weight, weight training. That's my thing. Mm. I'm not an endurance person, never have been. I'm a sprinter. My genes even show that. (laughs) So I like, I just like 
weights I feel good did you do the test to test your genes to see what you are Mm -hmm. yeah you would just I am a sprinter double mutation all the way fast twitch everywhere and I was like that's right I knew there was a reason I could never run a mile (laughs) it's funny you say that because there is a young lady who I was working with and and I used to tell this story you know I'm not I'm not gifted I'm not fast I don't have any speed and she said well that's not really true I said what do you mean she's like well you did the test and it shows that you actually are genetically disposed to be fast right and I said wait that doesn't jive with my story (laughs) but which which is proof that like I never thought I was fast, but the more I trained, I became faster, right? So exactly. who knows what's in there? Exactly. You know? It's And that's why it's it's a, it's a predisposition. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like being able to unlock that potential. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that, you know, you're born, we're not, most of us are not born like LeBron James. Right, right. You know, I mean, that that guy didn't have to work as hard. And he even right, says that, right, right early right, on. Because right. he was like, well, I was just good. Right. Um, at some point, everyone has to work. But I, I do believe that, um, that everyone has massive potential in them and that's the same thing with longevity like sure there are some factors that you can't overcome um but there's so much that you actually can do that's super simple so you know whether it's uh, the hot hot cold therapy Mm. um things like you said your grandma i mean man she didn't read science and she knew what to do right it's crazy super intuitive um the i i would say that if people are looking for something specific that maybe they're not doing yet. If someone listening to this is like, oh, well, I go to anatomy and I sleep and I eat well and I do all this sort of stuff. Um, and you're not doing time-restricted feeding or, or fasting of any kind, that is one of, at least per the research currently, mm-hmm. one of the most effective interventions. Um, we are not really? meant to constantly be eating. Yeah, you mm-hmm. need to give your body a rest. So um, whether- I'm out of luck. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm out of luck. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah, and and, and, it, and and interestingly, at least to date, the research I've read um, suggests that it doesn't really matter how you approach the um, the time restricted feeding. Meaning, you know, you could do this sixteen eight protocol, even a twelve twelve protocol, where you know you're off sixteen hours and you eat in an eight hour window, or you eat in a ten hour window, or something like that. Um, and you could also do something where there are, and again, don't do any of this without talking to your doctor. This is not my advice. I'm just telling you what the research says. Um, there are also people who might do, you know, six days of healthy eating and then one day a week they fast. They do water fast or something because you're well, giving the body yeah. a break. Um, I do the um, prolon, prolon fast, a fasting mimicking diet. Um, uh, Walter Longo, who's a leading longevity scientist, and he studies um, the effects of fasting on longevity. He's amazing. Um, he's been on Rhonda Patrick's podcast a lot, and oh, wow. um, he's uh, it was in some documentary with Dan Buettner recently. Really smart guy, um, and he developed a protocol that mimics fasting. And so you do this for five days. So five days, five days for three months in a row. Um, and so I did that, and it anecdotally for me. Um, helped with my GI issues. So, what, so t- tell, take us through the fasting schedule. So you do five days of fasting. So that this particular one is called Prolon. I don't work for them. I'm not getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like them. Okay. Um, and the science is really solid. They've done a lot of um, clinical studies. Um, it's five days of fasting mimicking uh, diet, meaning that they developed uh, a protocol where they basically send you these like little boxes of food. It's very minimal calories, but it's the macronutrient ratios and the actual nutrients you're getting are specifically adjusted to after I think it's two days, you get the body into a, a, a ketogenic state. 
we need to talk about keto because yeah, okay. that's please, a separate please, issue. Please, please. <laughs> but um, essentially, it, it activates um, the autophagy response. So it, it allows the body to uh, reset, regenerate. Optimize, so to speak. Right? Exactly. It gives the body a break. It's, it allows the body to clear out cellular debris okay. um, really effectively. But also, you could just do, you know, one day a week of fasting you could do some people do i think two days a month of water fasting um, again you should never do this without talking to a doctor um, and some folks just do what i think is the easiest low-hanging fruit which is just time-restricted feeding that's what i do so mm -hmm. i make sure that there is a 12-hour window that i don't eat so if i finish eating dinner at 8 30 at night then i won't eat anything until 8 30 the next morning um, and just that has made a huge difference for wow. me yeah that's interesting i it, I would eat my last meal, let's say, during the week, if we go on the weekends, a little bit different, but uh, maybe 7 p.m., and then I don't eat again until the next day, maybe 9 or 10. And I've been doing that for a long time. Well, that's I, great. But it just naturally occurred because of the schedule. Uh, so tell us about the uh, keto situation. So you're smiling. Because... I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> I know it's a big topic. And I, <laughs> I mean, everyone's keto, 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 oh, yeah, and yeah. I just... I kind of want to say like half the the, nu the nutritional plans that I see, they're not keto. No. And people think that they are. I don't think they understand the, I guess, extremism uh -huh. is necessary. And I'm not saying it's good, but just to be strictly keto, please. Right. So this is a big soapbox of mine. I will spare your audience yeah. my long soliloquy and just say... Uh, Again, not a doctor, but if you read the research, it really is not an optimal diet. The keto diet in its truest sense uh, was developed to treat children with seizures. So you're now talking about adapting a diet that was created as an intervention for very sick people who are small, who <laughs> are not adults, right? Who don't have the metabolism of adults and uh, who have a serious problem that needs to be addressed uh, acutely in the moment. So that that's always interesting to me, the ideology or the, the you know the, how this thing arose, um, and you know the benefit to something like hey I'm going to cut out carbs is that in our Western culture people eat far too many processed carbs. You know mm, that we all know course, that anyone listening to this probably knows that. Right. But carbs are not the enemy. Carbs are your friend. You need complex carbohydrates. We need plants and fruits. We need whole grains. Your grandma lived in 99, she ate oatmeal every day. She was not That's right. keto. That's right. So the problem with the keto diet and why it's so detrimental in its current iterations, various iterations to longevity and to health span in general is because if you're not eating carbs, what are you eating? That means you're eating a lot of protein and a lot of fat. Mm -hmm. And fat is a whole other discussion we can have, but um, you know, people don't thrive on high fat diets. You might feel good in the short term, but this is not a long-term strategy. Um, and, and eating vast amounts of protein, particularly animal protein, is highly damaging, and all of the research shows that. So anyone that tells you otherwise is selling you a, a ship of lies. Um, and, you know, if you, if you actually do read the appropriate research and the meta-analyses that are not sponsored by certain elements of the agriculture industry, you will see very clearly um, that that's not the optimal diet for humans. And this is not my opinion. This is just mm. scientific fact. So I, I get really um, sad when I hear people say, and they're like proud, you know, say, oh, I'm keto. And I'm like, oh, gosh, well, how's that working out for you? <laughs> because, you know, if someone is overweight or they're um, 
their 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 physique is not optimal uh, to you know whatever they don't feel good they're carrying a little bit of extra fat they just can't seem to get rid of it you know there's so many other interventions and things you need to do first yeah. oh yeah right just eating whole fresh foods that aren't processed is going to get you where you need to go a million percent I mean I, I run into people all the time they say man I I used to eat a lot of fruit and I cut out fruit and I feel amazing okay. and, and I would and I just kind of <laughs> laugh I I say you know you went out this weekend. You ate like a Viking, steak dinner, fries, um, drinking, partying, maybe dabbling in drugs. The fruit bowl is not your problem. <laughs> you know, I don't think you have to worry about that fruit bowl. I think that was probably the most positive thing you were doing for your life, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, fruit is your yeah, friend, yeah, guys. It can, it can be a good thing. Yeah. And, as you said before, anything with in great excess is probably not positive, but... Um, exactly. Very interesting. Very exactly. interesting. Exactly. Um, so. so, are there any other things that you know you always come up with these great uh, pieces of advice or, or life hacks that that you're aware of now? Is there anything that you can speak to now? Yeah. So um, obviously, I mentioned fasting mm -hmm. uh, in some form is great for longevity. Um, that's really well uh, understood. Um, sleep is of course really important, but in particular, making sure that you go to bed and wake up within the same sort of one hour window. So variation in that, of course, look with our lifestyle, all of us with our lifestyle, yeah. it's really hard, but if you can, I mean, you said your grandmother did it, right? Yeah. So if you can somehow maintain stasis in, in that respect, that's incredibly, um, beneficial, um, all the basic stuff, like obviously eating right and not smoking and, and, and all that that jazz. Um, and then there's a lot of really good science on, um, you know, on, on diet. And of course, like we all know more or less what is not a healthy diet, mm -hmm. but the optimal diet for longevity um, is about 90% uh, plant-based. And so all of the longevity scientists will say that. Um, in particular, you want to eat plants that are stressed. So stressed plants have very vibrant colors, you know, okay. blueberries and uh, Swiss chard and kale and um, peppers, bright peppers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, those compounds in the plants are ext extremely good for us to consume. Um, and and getting a wide variety of those, um, in particular, getting a lot of fiber is really healthy. So if people really are interested in maximizing longevity, um, reducing inflammation, that is um, the best way to, to do that. So some folks might not like okay. that answer, but that's... No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. You spoke before that how you started off, uh, you know, interviewing athletes and then you got into, you, you made a transition. It was It sounds like the reason for that was purely seeing these broken bodies. <laughs> I mean, I know it well. I mean, I've had more surgery than most people wouldn't even believe the amount of surgery yeah. I've had. And, and to be quite honest, I really think, you know, having somewhat of a healthy nutritional day-to-day uh, -day plan and movement has saved me. Mm -hmm. But so what did you see within the athletic culture? I know you hit on it a little bit earlier, but the way they treat their bodies is not good. Yeah, I mean, I was more just really intrigued. I've always been interested in human anatomy and biology, and like that's what I love. And so, what I saw in the sports world was yes, people being forced to push their body to the limit, 
for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and surely the fallout of that and some of the retired players. But but also I was just really fascinated by the lengths that these guys and girls would go to to eke out any tiny incremental improvement in performance and the science and technology behind that. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what, like, really fascinated me, um, the, how committed these people were and the people that work with them. Edge. Yeah. Anything they can do to have an edge. I remember, you want to talk about extremism. When I injured my knee for the first time, I paid a woman good money to bring large speakers into my home and give me sound therapy. And I was like, if you're saying I got a chance and it's going to help me, how many times can you come today? And I I swear I did that. I also slept in a uh, hyperbaric chamber. Oh, wow. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine, I did. I did everything because I'm very serious when I say this. I wasn't naturally gifted athlete I had to do everything possible to have an edge including a little bit more work here and there I mean it was everything Um, but I think salvaging or the trick when you get older I'm 44 years old and I, I try to explain to people I can still train hard the problem is I just don't recover as fast right so if I do like a serious row where it takes a lot out of me I can't row again that night and when I was 10 years ago, I could work out all day. You probably don't need to, though. Right? I mean, look, oh, you you, don't need you, to. No. you're a physical specimen. You don't need well, that's very kind. to be you can't <laughs> rowing me, twice a she, day. She's, she's absolutely lying. <laughs> um, no, but you know. it's interesting. People, thank you for that. But people, I don't think they understand. Like, they, they read a book about Navy SEALs and they're like, oh, I'm going to train like a SEAL. You forget that SEALs train for attrition. Exactly. Attrition. Uh, a professional basketball player, football player, baseball player, hockey player, they train for optimal performance. And it's a very small window of athletic burst. Yep. Uh, seals have to be able to wither away 30 pounds of their frame and keep going and not yeah. stop. That's not a sport. Right. That's survival. Correct. So it's understanding what's your intention and what are you trying to do. And I think there's a case for if you're talking about the military or special forces, that's not really physical. Right? I could not have said that better yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that That is a really, really yeah. good point. Yeah. So, Thinking um, in, intention is, I mean, I know you talk about it on your social media feed all the time, yeah. and it's the most important, important thing. I mean, for me, having like a mindfulness practice, Yeah. I mean... That to me, I can't be without that. That's like the greatest gift. It's free, (laughs) and it keeps me alive and sane. And I'm sure that it helps longevity. And you know, um, do you incorporate meditation or mm -hmm. things of that nature? How do you do it? Um, I was trained in uh, transcendental meditation. I worked many years ago for uh, Ray Dalio at Bridgewater. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my prior to sports, I was in finance. Oh, jeez. And and, uh, Ray, very kindly, he's a big proponent of transcendental meditation. And he said at one point, anyone working here at Bridgewater that wants to be trained, go through it to training, I'll pay for it. It was not not inexpensive. Um, Oh, wow. And so I was very fortunate. Uh, and that, I will say, that practice saved me in my life more than once. Um, so I I did that for many years. I still ha- kind of have that in my pocket. And then um, 
sometimes I'll use an app, you mm-hmm. know, or I'll just do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I'm really into breath work now. I had okay. COVID and to recover from COVID, I worked with a breath coach. Um, again, this is not a medical advice. Mm-hmm. I went off the medication I was prescribed, didn't like the side effects. You know, I'm not, I, medications have their place, but I'm, I'm a pretty healthy young person. Didn't feel that I needed to be putting that in my body um, mm-hmm. and it was having such bad side effects. I said, what else can I do? Right. I'm trying to like control my heart rate, you know? I wonder if there's something else. Oh yeah. And a friend of mine who's into meditation and hypnotherapy said, um, oh, I have, I'm working with this woman and she's a breath work coach. You know, in my mind, I'm like, oh man, I always tried this breathing thing. I, I'm a type A person. I don't breathe well. It's all in my chest. I hate diaphragmatic breathing. I was super resistant. But let me tell you, when you're sick, and you know, someone tells you you got inflammation in your heart, and this could ruin the rest of your life. You're pretty much open to anything, like oh, you with yeah. your speakers. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. So I thought, okay, what do I have to lose? I was desperate, um, and it turned everything around for, for me. Again, anecdotal, just me. But um, it, it was just extraordinary when I finally allowed my body to connect with its breath. Something so simple, completely free. Um, had such a profound effect and I wear the aura ring so I have data I'm tracking it that was my next question (laughs) I can see what happened I saw my HRV change I saw my resting heart rate change overnight I saw my respiration rate change and I saw my body temperature change yeah I love the aura ring Um, I'm mostly interested in what happens to my body overnight which I think aura is better for um, versus while I'm training which I think whoop is better for so for me, that's uh, that's why I made the decision to uh, to get the aura ring. But yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I like the whoop because it's it's easy. I was a bit frantic knowing they had to wear it twenty four seven. I feel like we're being all being tracked. I'm just kidding. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel that way. I'm totally kidding. Um, but it, I noticed that it's all, it's all HRV and, and cardiac output. Like the right. whole thing, uh, heart rate based. But right. um, I did notice that with when I do my meditations when i do my breathing my hrv uh score is much better yeah much better what kind of breathing do you do uh i just do bit belly breathing for whatever time i have mm-hmm. and i've advised all my clients to do it and i take them through like just different breathing patterns so they understand how to breathe through their belly mm-hmm. as they you know um but that took me a long time to actually understand and i have one specific person that i work with it changed his life and he says, Mark, you don't understand. I've lived for 50 plus years like this and I can't just change. And I said, look, all the squats, all the training we do, the weights, the strength, the endurance, this is going to help you more than anything we do. Yeah. And he speaks to it every day. He's like, uh-huh. it really did help him. It helped him tremendously. So he uses it if he's on a business call and he's getting worked up. Put it on mute go through his breathing yeah and he says it's helped him more than you could ever imagine yeah i fully agree and you know it's funny because i i'm so open-minded to everything but it was just the one thing i was sort of resistant to mm-hmm. and look it took me becoming very very ill to then be open to it which i guess happens to a lot of people um in various ways and uh, yeah i've been working with this woman nadine she's in london um on this coherent breathing technique which is um uh it's six breaths in six breaths out um, and it's all nasal breathing and there's a whole reason behind that um, from the belly but but through the nose right, you right. never open the mouth really interesting um, there's this pattern of like you do f- five minutes four times or something so essentially I'm just breathing that way for 20 minutes and um, yeah it's it's incredible 
It's really incredible. It changes things a great deal. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, when I, I took a uh, course through XPT with Laird Hamilton, and they brought in a coach oh. for breathing, and the first thing she said is that we, as young children, we breathe properly, mm -hmm. and then we stop breathing properly because one day someone goes over to your belly, pokes you in the belly, and you go, oh, I got to pull that in. I can't let my belly yeah. move at all. All right. Especially women. Yeah, you know, I, my whole life I spent trying to make my stomach flat and walking around with your belly sucked in and right. you're like <gasps> right. all the time it's so unhealthy chest. it's so unhealthy and then you try to get a fitness minded person to breathe into their belly yeah. forget it exactly you're like, you're like what do you mean I, I can't get rid of my six pack I'm not, I don't have a belly <laughs> they're very and I know it because I'm one of them so but it helps tremendously so I strongly suggest working on your breathing belly breathing specifically yeah um, so what's next for you Oh, what are your goals in this human optimization field? <laughs> what would you like to accomplish? That's a big question. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I just I, I'm really passionate about um, like you are about helping people live better and healthier. And, and for, for me personally, that extends beyond just the human body. I'm really passionate about our connection to others, our connection to the natural world and to animals, um, as you've probably seen on my Instagram. Oh, yeah. um, and I just don't believe that, you know, um, anything works well in isolation. You know, we talked about connection and the need for socialization and physical touch and all those things are really obvious when we're talking about physiology. Um, but for, for, for me, at least, the idea of longevity and, and lifespan optimization extends beyond my body to other people's bodies to the soil to the trees to the the water we, we drink the air we breathe the animals we interact with and if we are not aware of our impact on and our connection to and dependence on everything else around us we will not live very long and even if we live long we won't live very well and so i feel like that's my purpose while i'm here you know oh yeah um I love that. Um, I think I'm, I am a huge uh, uh, animal person. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like the, the connection, my wife calls me the uh, dog whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's just because I'm a big person and dogs like to lean on me. Not, there's, nothing, there's nothing special in there. But it, it's one of those things where I, I feel like there is a extraordinary uh, connection between humans and animals mm. and it could be so much better mm -hmm. but i always felt like maybe someday if uh i do something positive in this field and leave a, a, a impactful mark in this field maybe someday i'll be working on a ranch with animals you know because <laughs> I, I could definitely see that but i think we need to do uh more justice for them so to speak yeah you know so yeah that's what i do in my uh, spare time as you probably know but um yeah, I'm on the board of uh, Animal Safe Movement, and uh, we, we work um, to, you know, ensure better outcomes for specifically for farmed animals, for all animals. But um, that's a pretty a pretty sad situation that we have created. And again, because I am of the belief that we all deserve bodily autonomy, I think it extends to all species. And if other species are mistreated and aren't healthy, then we have no chance of being healthy ourselves. So uh, there's a, you know, a physiological aspect, and, and, and there's also sort of, um, 
you know, I don't know, moral aspect, maybe mm-hmm. one could say. So. Understood. Yeah. Understood. Well, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Thank you so very much. I'm sure I'm going to ask uh, another favor for you to come on again and school us uh, once again on the Magna Method <laughs> podcast. But until then, I'll see you in anatomy. I know you're going to use the cold plunge, the sauna, train with James, and continue to optimize your health. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much.